Hey everyone, Bees with Ben. Well, if you have not already heard, um, my 24th of June, it was made public that two hives, Sentinel hives, in the port of Newcastle in Mayfield was discovered with varroa mites. Devastating news. This is what we don't want. We have tried so hard to keep this pest out, and it is an absolute catastrophic pest, and I can't stress that enough. I've been fortunate over past, over a decade, been to three continents, many countries, and seen personally, personally the devastation that this particular pest has. Um, it gives me goosebumps, it gives me shivers, and rightly so, it should do the same for everyone because if this gets out, where it's going to change the landscape of Australia, it's going to change the industry, and we are in for some hard times like every other country that deals with this pest has been. It is a shocking, shocking pest. So anyway, it's uh, it's only been a few days. It's a hot topic. We are all talking about it. Um, hopefully, you know, this is contained. So let's be optimistic here. And it is contained and that the DPI New South Wales and Arvik throw everything they've got at this. Um, I'm not sure. They're probably, I think it's all early days yet, but if they need volunteers, I'm sure that'll come out um, because we need to really be in the bud. Um, and get up there and do. We need feral hives, need to be euthanized. Um, we need to really, really smack this on the head. Can't stress that enough. And we need, as the other thing is, so as an industry, we all need to work together. Now, there's a bit of a divide between commercial beekeepers and hobbyist beekeepers and beekeepers with flow hives, beekeepers, natural top bar hives. There's sort of a bit of a divide, but we need to come together, pull together work together and do everything in our power because if it does get out i can see this problem this divide even becoming worse you know almost if it does spread there's going to be you know this um divide between states and you know don't bring you don't bring that over my border and you know fighting and and you know obviously so many issues so so many issues Anyway, um, this podcast, this is actually a recording i done with Richard Knoll. We've we done a, on YouTube. Uh, it was um, like a live and it's actually on YouTube on Bees and Brittany. So you can check that out. It's just uh, me and Richard talking. But this uh, podcast is so just the audio taken from that. Um, there's a few, he done a PowerPoint presentation and uh, with a few slides there. But this will give you the gist of it. And it was a really good discussion. If it's not contained, what do we do? What do we do when, uh, how do we treat it? What do we do when it gets out there? Um, it's amazing. Actually, as I talk now, my phone's been ringing. It's been ringing hot, you know, in, as far as this subject. It's, as I said, we, <laughs> I, I, I'm, it's, it's surreal. This is actually for me personally. I was, obviously, I'm deeply invested and deeply passionate about the industry of, of bees, beekeeping. This has shaken me up more than this COVID. COVID for me, ah, yeah. I know everyone's got different thoughts about that and we're all sick of talking about COVID. But this has shaken me up more so than COVID because this is, once again, this is going to affect everyone. So, anyway, so this is, we're going to, this, um, listen to the audio. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, some good content there to hear about the, you know, dealing. How does one deal with the Royal Might? So, this is Richard Knoll. 
um, is from England and lives in France, in northwest of France, in the Brittany region in Corsal. And uh, this is the audio take from that. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, so we'll make a start. So hello, everybody. Um, it gives me amazing pleasure to welcome you all to this chat. Uh, I got a message from my really good friend, Ben, who I'm going to introduce to you now. Ben, I've known for uh, probably how many years? About five years now, Ben? Yeah, I think been, We used to chat yeah. on on Instagram and all that before, and then Ben said, can I come over? So he visited uh, to me in, I think, 2018. So it's quite a while ago. But um, So Ben sent me a message yesterday. You've probably all seen the message uh, that there is an outbreak of Varroa in uh, New South Wales. So, um, Ben, do you want to just tell me a little bit about where you are with your beekeeping now before we go into that? And then uh, you can just kind of give me an overview of kind of where you are. And then you can tell me also where uh, your outbreak is compared to you and what the latest kind of sanitary things have been put into place. Yeah, no, certainly, Richie. Um, I should just quickly, before we go into that, if anyone doesn't have this book, Interview with Beekeepers by Steve Donahue, there's a section on there, you know, with uh, with Richard. So really, uh, that's a, a little plug because that is a real – and that's the beekeeping book. There is a lot of good information uh, in there. So definitely recommend that. As far as where I'm located, so I'm in Melbourne. Now, Melbourne compared to where Newcastle, New South Wales – the distance is just shy of, um, or just over, I should say, a thousand kilometres. So it's a reasonable distance. Um, now we're informed. Uh, just a quick, you know, we've all pretty much heard it here in Australia because it's talk. We are all talking about it. There is no one person, no beekeeper, is not talking about this. Is the phone lines will be absolutely uh, plugged with people talking about. It. But Friday, we're informed that there was a varroa destructor incursion in Newcastle, the port of Newcastle. Um, and there was two hives with mites in there. So that's Varroa Destructor. So um, now it's been obviously the weekend. That was Friday afternoon we heard about that. We've just found out uh, 6 p.m. tonight that there is no beehives to be moved outside of New South Wales. So just a quick one. To, to comparison for those people that are abroad, New South Wales um, is double the size of Germany. Um, and I think um, France, where Richard lives, is about 60% of New South Wales. So it's a big, massive area. It's absolutely so, huge then, yeah. Huge. So, so I'm really looking forward to um, uh, talking to Richard tonight about the Varroa because if this does escape, and I don't want to be pessimistic, I don't want to be negative, but if it does, where to from here? So we're going to hear all about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the other thing we discussed before was uh, they might well have brought these incursions in and all these lockdowns. Uh, you know, we would use the word lockdowns, but it is a lockdown. Um, but what about people that haven't got registered hives? And what about feral swarms that are in the trees already? I mean, as you said, there is a uh, there is also a national park near one of the outbreaks. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually pretty close to it. National Park um, and feral hives. You know, the Aussie bush has got so many, you know, hollow trees and eucalyptus trees and such a big, big area. So I think this is going to be a yeah. real uh, – it's, it's a concern because we're all talking about it and we're all deeply, deeply concerned. Yeah, the, the other issue is, okay, so it's your winter now, isn't it, coming into your spring, but you don't have cold winters, so swarms don't die over the winter like they mostly do here. 
in, in, in Europe, Northern Europe, many, many swarms die. The, the kind of figures, just briefly, uh, approximately 70% of swarms from colonies that leave the hive don't make it to the following spring. Oh, wow. So that's a massive cut. So, but for you, it's completely different because everything will live. And because you haven't got mites, they're all going to live because they're healthy. Ex <laughs> you see what I mean? Ex exactly. It's like a worst case scenario. Exactly. So that, that would be my concern. Exactly. And it's okay, so. Exactly. So I'll just go quickly, just jump in and just say. No, no, it's when, great. When, We've got plenty of time. When you just mentioned about the weather. So I looked at the Newcastle weather uh, yesterday being Saturday, the 25th of June, was 20 degrees full sun. Today being Sunday was 21 degrees. And that's middle of winter. Yep. Yep. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's the temperatures we kind of even, we just dream of, but it, as we say in beekeeping, it is what it is. That is what you, you're contending with. So, um, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give a, a little presentation, um, mostly for you guys in Europe. But as I say, with all these presentations, it's all good, always good to refresh. I went through some Varroa stuff last night and I was like, is that really like that? I, I, you, you can never stop learning about Varroa because there, I will say to you now, if, if you do get a full-blown outbreak and infestation of Varroa in Australia, there is no right answer. There is no way of managing it. You just, let me rephrase that, there's a way of managing it, but it, you have to manage it the best you can because we're all doing the same. And, we're, and everyone that has got Varroa since it first came out is still doing exactly the same. They're having to change, constantly change, be dynamic and change the way they manage it in their own apiaries because every kind of situation is different. I'll show you my model that I use in my talk. When I got some messages yesterday saying from one of your friends, Ben, said, oh, um, can you tell me what you do and how you treat? I said, well, it's kind of really a waste of time telling you because I, I, I'm more than happy to tell you, but you're going to have to use different things. I mean, the fact the treatments that, that we use are so darned expensive now, but the problem is you just have to use them. You know, it's another thing you have to bring into your beekeeping. So I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to give you a um, a little talk on just what just while you're doing that, just, just quickly, just after the presentation, also too, just in the comments, anyone got any questions? You know, please. You know, I mean, anything you know around the world, Australia, you know, UK, Europe. You know, just let us know. Um, you know, put those questions up, and and Richard uh, or myself, if I if I can, um, answer those questions. Okay. So, um, can you see the presentation, or have I just just minimised that down? Yeah, I no. think I've just minimised it. Down. Give me a second. Where on earth has this gone? So here we go. Oh, I've just I'm just going to reshare my screen. Excuse me a moment. Uh, bear with me. We've got a slight technical problem here. Right, I'm going to have to go back into it. Here we go. Right, can you see that? No, sorry. No, sorry. Can you we, see that, Ben? No, sorry, we can't see see that. We're okay, just, got... just bear with me a minute. I haven't I haven't shared my screen properly. Okay, just uh, we'll get back to this. Uh, as, okay, as, um, as Richard's just doing that, so don't forget. Okay, right, we're there. We're yeah, there. there we are. There we are. Okay. We just need to um, enlarge that screen if you can. Hang on, I'm just. Uh, God, I'm struggling here, guys. Just bear with me, please. That's right. That's right. I'll talk talk away while you're doing that. So, so um, as just as Richard sets that up, <laughs> this is a real concern. You know, this varroa mite incursion. It is really, it's absolutely devastating. Um, and it's going to be a real. Can, can you guys see that? We can. We can, we certainly can. Yep. 
Okay, brilliant. Well, there. Okay. Right. I'm, can you see that, Ben? Beautiful. Can you tell me what yep. you can see now? Yep. Good to go. Looks good. Okay, brilliant. Okay, I'm just sorry about that. Okay, so Varroa Destructor. I'm going to give you a little overview of what we have here and how I see it here, okay? And this is kind of how I, I have arrived at this point in my beekeeping career. I don't know it all. I haven't got all the answers, and I'm way down on the technical side I need to know, okay? Because I'm always having to relearn stuff. And unfortunately, that's what beekeepers in a new country that's going to get it are going to have to do, okay? So the Varroa destructor mite, by definition, it's an external parasite mite that feeds on honeybees, namely Apis serrana, but for us, Apis mellifera. The disease spreads uh, are referred, sorry, the disease it spreads are referred to varroses, and the mite jumped species in the 1960s, and that's why we've got this problem now. Okay, so what do varroa mites do to your colonies? They feed from proteins off the bees by piercing between the body parts. And we call this the plates of the bees because I've got this little armored section and the, the mites feed between that. So this isn't really a problem if that's all they did. So as they feed, they transfer viruses and it's the viruses that are the issue. The viruses are at least five uh, that are most prevalent, sometimes up to 18, um, and the most prevalent being deformed wing virus and that we call this a virus load. You, you need to get used to the terminology. Bees have a virus load. And at the moment, you, bees probably haven't got much of a virus load. But for us, we, we kind of talk about this virus load and uh, deformed wing virus takes up most of that load, okay? But it changes, and that's the issue. Um, Colonies will become sick and weak over time if you don't do anything about it. And you'll see this, it's called viroses, basically sick bees walking across the frame. When bees die, they don't tend to, um, to just drop in front of the hive. They tend to fly off and die. It's the natural response for bees to go off somewhere and die. Okay, so um, bees become more susceptible to other illnesses, European fowl brood, American fowl brood, nosema, sac brood, colony collapse disorder all things like that, and I put et cetera, because there is obviously other issues. You get poor performance, reduced honey gathering, high winter mor mor uh, mortality rates. So for us, we have a long period of kind of not dormancy, but when bees don't do much in Northern Europe, and that's when we, we find bees die, quite, we always say bees probably died of varroa issues. So that's the problem we have, but you guys are kind of a bit different. So um, all these, problems that varroa cause basically give extra stress on the colonies, which is the big issue. So how do the mites um, reproduce? This is just to say a brief overview so we can have questions about it after because it may get people thinking of how they can poise their strategy or put in the strategies for their future treatments. So varroa destructor mite, obviously it can only reproduce in honeybees. So kind of it needs the bees to reproduce and otherwise the mites die might reproduce over a 10-day cycle. And as soon as the cell is capped over, the adult female varroa lays an egg on the honeybee larvae inside the cell, okay, as soon as it's capped over. Uh, reproductive females preferentially choose drone cells over worker cells, and this gives them a chance for a further quick reproduction. And apparently they can do that over four days after the first ones are born. Uh, 
before the drone is born. And obviously, if you if you imagine, this is actually a useful tool to us, so we can remove drone cells, and hopefully there'll be more, and often there is more young uh, developing varroa under the cells of drones, so we can yank them out. But that has issues as well. So you, we have a, a bank of chemicals that we can use that work in in different ways that are good and bad that have some greater or lesser effect but it's important that we kind of look at them regularly and think about the strategies with them okay so we the one of the most important ones we use and the ones that's used most worldwide is amitraz and it's on strips and it's mostly sold as apivar okay there's organophosphate insecticide kumafos uh, and checkmite strips not used so much now, but it sometimes is brought back into the equation. Uh, thymol crystals in sugar or food recipes for bees. So we might use thymolized syrup in when we're feeding in the autumn as we put the bees to bed, but it can be used as a, as a kind of treatment during the summer, which is also helpful against nosema, for example. So there is benefits to some of the using some of these things. Um, there's also thymol-based treatments like Apigard, which you can get as a gel. Uh, so that's a really good tool as well. Pyrethroid insecticides, tofluvelinate, I must get that right, as strips as well. We don't use that much here. Um, there is the naturally occurring treatments, formic acid, okay, MAQs, mitoway quick strips, they're known as MAQs, uh, which is a, either vape, it's a vapor, you can pour formic acid into your hive if you want to do that, but it's a bit unregulated, better off used than the pads and you treat your mites for a certain amount of time with these pads and the acid. Um, basically, it's hard, it's what we call a hard treatment. It does kill a lot of the mites. So oxalic acid, mostly the beekeeper's friend. Uh, we vaporize it here. We also use it in a solution that we dribble over the bees in the winter. But the vaporized is probably the safest. Dribbling in the, over the winter and is a little bit problematic sometimes. If you do it regularly, you have no problems, but when you've never done it before, you can overdo things and you can easily cause problems. Okay, I'm gonna show you all the chemicals that people use because, and all the treatments, because I think it's fair that you get a cross-section of what's out there and what weapons you have. So essential oils, some people believe it's a waste of time, other people swear by it. Okay, you got, you got lemon, grass, you got mint, you got thyme, and mineral oils, some people fog with mineral oils. They believe that that's a really, and it makes the bee, makes the, it kills the mite that's on the bee through the same way as you might put olive oil on uh, on a tick, that kind of thing. Okay, so hops, uh, that's kind of ongoing. Uh, you can buy a hop guard strips. That's one of the extractions from hops because the odor apparently helps against the mites. So people say, I don't believe in it. Um, there is other types of treatments, which is uh, one of the biggest ones is the non-treatment, okay? So you can, you can leave your bees to fight Varroa and take what comes. And that's the basis of many people's, um, the start of many people's breeding programs, okay? So you're only breeding from what lives. That's the zero treatment, okay? You can start your own selection and breeding program where you might treat a little bit, but you uh, start breeding from what seems to do really well amongst your other colonies. So you have to have lots of criteria and lots of um, traits you select for, and one of them would be strong varroa resistance. So varroa sensitive hygienic, okay, this, this is a big subject and it's one of our key <laughs> weapons 
in the development of Varroa treatments, okay, or, or the treatment of how we deal with Varroa, okay, should, I should say, okay, but I'll come to that a little bit more in a minute. <coughs> Another method that's been developed is uh, a heat treatment method where you actually cook the colony, but you cook the colony to an exact temperature that kills the mites and doesn't kill the bees. So that's another thing to think about. All these are just options that you can consider, but they don't always work and they all have their pros and cons. Um, as much as a Varroa sense of hygiene, there's also another route. Uh, Purdue University, they've been, for instance, bringing out um, a mite mauling program and they are following the grooming behavior of bees. So um, basically they, they're, they're selecting bees that are actively pulling off mites and biting them and chewing them. And they have this, this kind of um, activity they do. And it's, they, they're now, you, you can get hold of queens that are more, more sensitive to that and they do quite a good job. Okay, so a little bit about varroa sensitive hygienic bees, okay? And it's a massive subject, this. Okay, so I'm only gonna very lightly skirt over the edge of it. So it is the honeybee's ability to detect a reproducing female varroa mite underneath a capped brood cell. Bees use these different markers to detect the mite's presence, okay? And it, there, there is more than one marker that bees use to detect the, 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 um, the, the female underneath the capping, okay, or, or, or the brood, okay? But I'm not gonna go into that because it's very complicated and it's more of a scientific side of stuff. But it, it, as a beekeeper, it just introduces you to what VSH is. Okay, so you've got the, the USDA, that's the United States Department of Agriculture and the Baton Rouge Labs, they've been running Project Apers for years, as well as loads of other organizations, you know, that I'll come to in a minute. They've all been doing this research on VSH. Arista Bee Research, another huge organization, and it's from originally from the Netherlands into Belgium, and now it's across much of Europe, and now it's going into the <coughs> USA. They are really homing in on uh, varroa resistance through different markers, not just the ability to, to detect the female underneath the, the capping. There's different markers they're picking up on, but all this is trade-offs, okay? There's another one, University of Florida, um, I'll show you these the pictures after, but uh, James, Professor Jamie Ellis and his team, amazing work generally on their on on the on the hygienic stuff. Huge developments happening, but it all takes a lot of work and a lot of time. So, um, creating brood breaks. That's um, there is various methods of doing this. I do it in a method. I'll show you in a minute. I cage my queens and that stops the queen laying and that gives us a brood break. There's other, there's a few other ways of doing it to induce a brood break type method. And then when you've got your bees um, broken down, so when you've, when you've stopped your queen laying and you've broken down that, all, all that, all that cat brood has disappeared, then you can uh, treat with oxalic acid because all your mites are phoretic. Okay. And phoretic is a word you need to understand. It means there's, phoretic means um, above the cells. So the, any treatment you use is more accessible to treat the mites with. It works better. Okay, so you can do sugar shakes. Uh, this is going back to grooming. You can cover your bees in sugar and it makes them clean themselves off and some of the mites come off. It was a very popular method. It's becoming a little bit less popular now. Okay, drone comb removal, as I said before, um, you can put in a comb of drone foundation 
in between, usually between eight for end of March, April, May into June for us here. You do it in your early spring as well. The, the queen lays into it and a lot of the mites make their way to that drone comb just as it's sealed over and you yank it out and melt it down, give it to your chickens, burn it, whatever you want to do. But you remove a massive amount of varroa that's gone into that because the bees, the, the female varroa, as I said, is actively looking for that drone comb because it gives them longer underneath the cap cells. That's a good method. Okay, so this is a little bit about Aris to Bee Research. I've just pulled this off their front page. It just you, you can look this up after and you can find out all about how they're breeding varroa resistance. This was um, this is just, so just as off the, their website, but look at it. Learn all about the different methods of varroa resistance. Okay, it's so important. So a little bit about the problems with insecticide treatments. The ones we all are told to use and the ones we're given. The main problem is you're targeting a bigger insect on a smaller insect. And even if you say, well, it's actually a mite on a bee, and so we're using a miticide for an in, on, on an insect, it's still, you're still treating your bees to a certain extent. You're still giving your bees toxins that we hope won't harm them much, but they may that may have an effect on them, and it certainly has effect on the colony as a whole. So you've got to remember that. It's not easy to kill mites under capped brood. So there's only a few treatments that actually penetrate the brood while the mites are underneath. So you're not going to get it all with certain treatments like oxalic acid does not kill mites under capped brood. There's evidence of some resistance in many of the synthetic chemicals now. It's kind of variable. Some people say there isn't. Some people say there is. But many beekeepers now say that amitraz isn't working for them. You need to be precise with the treatments and there's little room for error. You've got to follow the manufacturer's specifications. You've got to know what you're using and how you treat it. It's very, very important. Okay, so varomites are pretty smart cookies. They know when a colony is collapsing and they hitch a ride on another honeybee um, to another colony and we call this jumping ship. So you get to late summer, your colony becomes queenless, and uh, <coughs> for various reasons, it might be varroa-related. And then the, the, the bees from your neighbor's hives come and rob out that colony, as well as your own ones, but then those mites are distributed to other colonies, you see. And that's actually how a lot of viruses spread amongst beekeeping areas, is that if you bring bees to another area, they very quickly take on viruses from other colonies and that's how it kind of works it, it's well documented okay so i've done a little bit on the practicalities of how can i keep my colonies viable okay so this is one of my apiaries um a couple of kilometers away from me i have bees i have a varroa regime i use and this is kind of what i do so the steps to take don't wait until you see illness it's too late okay if you see varroses which you'll learn what it is if you see that it's too late. You're probably going to have a dead colony by the winter. Be proactive. Get organized. Get out there. Monitor your mites. Make a plan. Look at similar models to yours. And I mean this when, well, what I say when I mean this is find someone um, or a beekeeping group that lives in an area with similar conditions to yours because they will have an idea of how to manage their varroa so there's always someone in in a different in, in the same geographical line that will give you a similar 
um, a similar outlook on how they treat theirs. Okay, so that's where you can really do well. Don't be afraid to ask. And again and again, there's nothing wrong with going back to that person saying, I just don't get it. Why do I need to do this? Because that's how you pick up the small information. Okay. On the right-hand side is a picture of a Varroa shake. This is one of the best tools you can have, but doing Varroa shakes and mite washes are one of the best things you can do to find out what your mite levels are. And that's how you will find out. So you learn all about the mites. You learn how to monitor your mite loads. You do mite washes. You count the mites that drop onto the floor of your colonies. And this is a good tool over the winter. So you might have done your treatments in the autumn. You think you put your bees to bed nice and clean uh, in the autumn. And then you can monitor the mite drop over the winter. And if you're seeing low drops of one or two per week, that's quite a good indication that you've got your mites under control. So um, know what your levels are. I can go to beekeepers now, and I have to admit, I don't know what my levels are at the moment, but I know what they were in the spring, and they were fairly low. But you need to know what your levels are so you can you can quickly predict how they work. approximate mite thresholds of when your colonies are likely to collapse and if you see it you'll know why because your mite levels are too high so follow the science randy oliver amazing guy you need to follow his page scientific beekeeping if you want to learn about mites he's done so much work uh, because he's a beekeeper he's an also um owns um He's got, he's got two sons that he does almond pollination with, and he's been going for a long time now. And some of the work he does, he's a scientist as well, extremely thorough, and it's extremely useful. And if you follow him, you'll kind of feel that you've got someone holding your hand through this problem. Okay, Professor Jamie Ellis uh, and his team are at Florida University, sorry, I think it's Florida, Florida uh, University, complete section there on bees. All they do is have projects to work out bee problems, get onto them, learn them. Dr. Sam Ramsey, fantastic guy. He's just done a doctorship on Varroa and some of his stuff is really, really good. So what I'm just trying to say that get out there and follow the key people. There's loads more people, but these are three that I follow because I find they give me loads of help. Okay, it's really important. So you've got local beekeepers that are kind of all our, our Facebook friends. They're not in, in the professional realm. They have other jobs. Corey Stevens, Jason Bragg, they both are breeding bees on varroa-sensitive hygienic stock, and they sell their stock. They have issues like we all do. They have good and bad stock, but overall, they're doing a fantastic job bringing it all out into the open and trying to crack this problem. So this is my model of beekeeping. This is how I manage my mites in my apiaries, okay? So remember, we have natural brood breaks for us, so we already have a really big advantage for us here. I like to refer to my mite treatments as a two-year cycle. The first year, you try and get your mite levels down. Excuse the spelling. So the following year, you start off with a lower amount, and that's the key objective in all your treatments. You're, you're constantly knocking them down. You're never going to get rid of them. If we could, we wouldn't be here today because they would have just disappeared. But... They're always going to be there, and it's keeping them under, keeping them suppressed. That's the key objective. So we have to start somewhere. So I will start from late autumn. 
you'll see how I'll go through the complete year. The queens have virtually stopped laying for me here. That is virtually November, early December in most years. And we call this period when the colonies are probably at their most broodless. Okay, so that's a time when I, I go and check quite a few colonies and I have a look around the apiaries and see when I think, right, we'll do the treatments now. So in November and December, I treat with vaporized oxalic acid. Each colony gets two to three grams every five to seven days. And I do that for three times. This knocks down all the phoretic mites that I mentioned before, the bees, the mites that are accessible to the treatment because they're not under the cells, but also hits any remaining mites that emerge after the first and second treatments. So this is me doing oxalic acid treatments. I have a larger sublimator. I'll show you some pictures of the sublimators I have and like the ones I've used in the past, but this one is a sublimox, okay? It's a kind of French brand, French brand. Sorry, I, I, I correct that. It's sold in France, but it's actually Italian and it's a, a European brand. But it, it's one of many. And there is one that was out for a long time in America and Canada called the ProVape, which was very similar to this. But since that, in the last couple of years, there's a lot of even better, new, efficient, similar machines that do the same job. OK, um, if you want to go onto Cayman Reynolds website, he's doing quite a few reviews of the latest vaporizers that are coming out. So this is what I do. I, I, I use this uh, machine because it, it allows me to treat a lot of colonies quickly. It takes about 25 seconds per colony. You see there's a little white cap there. I have a spare cap in the bucket and I put my oxalic acid into the cap and I invert it into this little um, bowl. And that bowl then heats up because it's constantly being heated to the correct temperature and it sublimates the oxalic acid into the hive. So everything inside gets coated. I foam off the front of the hive, as you can see, and then I put a, we have a tray that these are Nico plastic trays and I have a tray that closes off the bottom of the hive. So I can monitor my mite drop. I can monitor the mite drop in the winter with these trays as well, and I can close the colonies off. So for me, it works well. So that's what I do. Using all the safety gear, Use the right mask. Oxalic acid is nasty stuff if you inhale it in. I, I have to repeat that. So December, January and February, I've done my oxalic treatment in the autumn because I believe I got my mite numbers down in the summer and I'll show you how I do that now. But into the later part of the year, all I do is monitor the floor drop from overwinter colonies. If mite numbers are high, I'll retreat them for three, three times over five to seven days. And then each time I'll knock those remaining mites back. But I don't usually have to treat after the November, December treatment. It's vitally important you start your spring with low numbers. Mite numbers will accelerate rapidly in the spring. If they're high when you start, you're on a hiding to nothing. You, are, you ain't going to control them because you've lost it. The problem is controlling them in the spring because you can't get good treatments into the brood because you're often doing things like collecting honey, which is quite important when you have bees. So March, April, May, June, the bees generally keep outgrowing the mites in numbers, okay? The bees proliferate. However, the mite numbers are still growing, underlying numbers are rising, but you kind of accept that because we're doing beekeeping now and we wanna have honey and we wanna do splits and all this kind of stuff. We, we want our bees to keep going and we kind of not forget about mites. We just put them on the hold. 
So I get to July and August, which is next two weeks time, this all starts to me. And this is what we call the crossover months. So we get to this part in beekeeping where the queen will start lowing, slowing down her laying and the colony numbers start to fall. However, mite numbers will continue to rise at an enormous rate, okay? They just skyrocket. A thousand mites one week can be 2,000 in three weeks time. It, it just massive, massive amounts of uh, varroa can be born. So for me, in early July, as our nectar flow is finishing, which will be in about two weeks, I'm caging my queens to give a forced brood break. So I'm going to put that queen in a cage to stop her laying. And that means I'm changing all the mites. All the mites in my colonies will have to become phoretic because there'll be no brood for them to hide under. And at the same time, I'm making splits with the strong colonies that I already have because they were low in mites earlier in the year. I treat my nucleus colonies I've made with Afivar strips, and that's what I use in my nukes because it just makes very easy. But I will also give them an oxalic acid treatment because often they're in the same apiaries that I'm treating my main hives, my production hives with. So I leave my queen's cage for 21 days, minimum before I treat, with, before I treat the mites. And I say 21 days minimum because if there's a little bit of brood, a little bit of drone brood in the colonies, that takes 24 days before that hatches out. But by the time we get to July, the queens and the bees have stopped producing most of their drones. The drones are finished for the year, really, by, by late June. So I give it all at least one hit. But if you only can get one hit in because of time scale, don't forget you're really busy that time of year. And having to treat with oxalic acid is, is quite hard because it's hot. You've got all the gear on. You haven't got much time because you're trying to harvest honey. It's just very difficult to, to hold it together. It might be windy, which makes treatments very difficult but it works if you can get a good treatment. If you can do two treatments, it's a massive success. Okay, so this is how I treat my bees. I've done a video on this about the treatment I do. So if you wanna log on to my YouTube channel, you will find it and I tell you about how I do it. But that basically is the cage I put into the frame. The bees can access the queen both sides. So you can see right through the cage and that's the key to it for me. This is why these cages work well. I've tried other cages, but what I'm doing is I'm working with the bees here. I'm caging the queen, I'm making her stop laying, but I'm doing it at a time that there is a natural brood break usually. Not necessarily immediately, but by the time we get to July here, a lot of the queens slow right down and stop their laying because there's no food coming in because we're in our dearth. And dearths are friends for brood breaks, okay? If you do a brood break when there's a dearth on, that's your window. So, because the bees accept it and they don't try and supersede your queen. So I've got a little video, I'm not sure if you're gonna be able to see it. This is me caging. The queen, I've cut the, the, the cage out, inserted it in the comb, and you can leave that cage in your frame. I have a queen catcher that came with this cage, and I let the queen run into the cage. She walks in, all easy to do. And then I just put the, put the door on my um, cage, close, close the door, and that is done. The queen is in there. You see her running around and she'll be in there for 21 to 24 days. And when I release her, I just undo that plastic tab and then she'll just walk out in her own time. And the bees have been in contact with her the whole time. They don't have any problems with her because they know she's there. They can feed her. They can look after her. The queens are in ex excellent condition and she then starts to lay. Okay. So this is me doing the oxalic acid after 21 days. Same picture I had before. It's very, very monotonous, but it's something we have to do. And that is th the problem with Varroa. Things become very monotonous in your treatments because you have to just keep on top of them.
So this is what you see at the end when I release my queens, machine gun laying into the cells. The cells have all been polished out and cleaned. August, September, I'm harvesting honey, releasing queens, treating with vaporized oxalic acid because I'm just knocking down those phoretic mites. And don't forget, you've got quite a big window. So once you've caged your queens and made a forced brood break, even if you release the queen, those cells aren't going to be capped over for at least 10 days because the larvae are going to need to grow and the eggs are going to need to hatch out, obviously, first. So you've got an even longer window. So if you want to do two or three treatments and the weather's good and you've got time to treat, just do it because you're constantly knocking down those, those mites. The so queens lay with vigor. The autumn flow starts, which we get here. I don't know. This is why it's so important to know your flows. We get an autumn flow here, and it's ivy. Ours starts in uh, usually around September. But by that time, my queens have obviously laid a lot of new eggs and a lot of winter bees. But I and I and I feed them as well a little bit, and I give them proteins, and I give that's when I give them a pollen patty because there is still pollen in the hives because the queens haven't been laying. But it just keeps everything really going well. So I'll just very talk about this briefly. Brood breaks have other advantages. And uh, Jamie Ellis talks about this quite a bit. If you're, if you're removing all the brood, a natural way of removing all the brood, it's like your colony becomes queenless. All the cells that had brood in become empty. And what do the bees do with empty cells? They clean them out. They polish the cells. And it's, it's considered one way of possibly controlling brood diseases and renewing comb. It's almost like doing what we call a shook swarm because you're only you're removing everything, all the all the pathogens and contaminants in that colony, and the bees will keep it out. So when the queen does lay and when the brood is 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 starting to emerge, all you see is sheets of clean bees. And I believe it helps in, in that way. That's the oxalic acid. I obviously use quite a bit. But you can buy it really cheaply. It costs literally probably five to ten cents per hive to treat, as opposed to probably um, maybe five or six euros per treatment per amitraz strip. So to let you know, amitraz is a great treatment, but it's not cheap. Uh, I wanted to show you a couple of vaporizers. So I really championed this. This is a, a vaporizer called Gasvap. It's a very small portable vaporizer that runs off a chef's blowtorch. Um, you, you can contact them and buy direct from them. It's a cottage industry, but the vaporizer is absolutely fantastic because you can treat, if you've got, I would say it's probably more uh, aimed at between five, uh, maybe five to 10 hives because I, I find that I, I use this, for instance, if I've got a small amount of hives in one apiary or if I'm treating a cell builder because I like to treat my um, cell builders, after all that brood hatch that I put in the cell builder, I give it a quick vape with this and it takes out all the mites instantly because they're all they're all phoretic mites. But it's a great piece of kit and it's not expensive. And if you're looking to start thinking about equipment, this is one of the vaporizers you should be buying because it's a brilliant tool to just have in your truck. So I started off when I first had bees, I bought myself a Varox vaporizer. You can still buy this one now. It's a vaporizing pan. It runs on a car battery and you can get probably 20 to 30 treatments with that. So it's a kind of maybe a little bit more um, 20 to 40 hive owner that will help you treat with oxalic acid with that. It works really well, rugged, reliable, you know, no problems at all. This is the Sublimox machine I have. I've actually just picked up a second one because my other one, I've used it so much. 
I need to build sustainability into my or reliability into my um, beekeeping loop. And I can't afford to not have a vaporizer at the crucial time. Because if I didn't have the, the ability to vape to treat my bees, after I've caged my queens, it'll be a disaster because all the mites would just start going back under the cappings. So you have to be, you've got to cover yourself a bit. You've got to think and, and plan. So this is Randy Oliver's page, scientificbeekeeping.com. You can subscribe, you can contribute towards his costs. Fantastic guy. Go on site, on site and check it out. You will learn so much. He explains about mite loads. There's calculators on there to help you calculate syrups and things like that. Absolutely brilliant. So Varroa mites, I'm going to end on this, okay? This is kind of a bit, take it as you find it, okay? But I want to explain something that's happened here. And since I started beekeeping, you have a phenomenon that, that is outside the hive. Okay, so worldwide, there are many beekeeping groups, some pro-treatment, some against treatment. Whatever you do decide to do, you will have people agreeing with you and disagreeing with your approach. So take it as an opportunity to learn all the points from their point of view, as well as yours, as well as your friends you support, and remain open-minded. There may just be something that you pick up that helps you, and that is fundamentally what we should all be doing. Working together is the only solution the bees do it, and so should we. Richie, that was a fantastic presentation. And I've just got to say, probably the biggest take-home thing here is for us in Australia, we've got to keep these little buggers out because that seems like a lot of hard work and with no real answers. And it just gives me goosebumps and shivers because we don't want those things here. And it's and, yeah. And sorry for any country. absolutely. Yeah, and sorry for any. Country. I'm just going to try and end my screen share. I don't want to lose us all. <laughs> no, that's right. As as you're as you're doing that, it's um yeah, that's definitely a take home. You know, to let us all know. Now there is some amazing questions here. Like so, um, did you want to do some questions now, Richie? Yeah, I'm absolutely fine. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I'm really it threw me. I I was so organised and I lost my thread at the start there, and it completely like blew me away. I was like, "Oh my god, this is terrible!" I wanted to be so professional. Nah, but looks... We got there in the end, but I, I just wanted to give yeah. you guys a complete overview of how I kind of see it, because there is no answer. There is no right answer. It's the other thing I wanted to say was this is all topical, but people are very similarly compared varroa mites to COVID. You're never going to get rid of it now. We have to learn to live with it. That that's it. But let, let's just come away from that. Let's take some questions. That's it. So, so there's um, lots of and just a lot of people saying hello to us both. So just we can't say oh, no, hello fantastic. to everyone. So just thank you, everyone. Um, so so just scrolling down here, um, I did see one here from Southern Cross Bees. Uh, Hi Ben and Richard. Out of interest, worst case scenario, how long would it take to get from Melbourne to Newcastle? So it's about a thousand kilometres. Now now tell, correct me if I'm wrong here Richie is without any beekeepers moving their hives so no migratory beekeepers the mites will move three to six kilometers per year is that correct yep That's I, I would say something like that yeah so, so so isn't that interesting so it's our beekeepers that we're moving hives you know as migratory moving around so we're spreading the disease so um that's very interesting um I'll ask another um uh question well, the, the, I mean, the thing is we, we can say that as a figure, mm. but we know it won't be that because beekeepers move hives mm. no matter what. Exactly. We, we, I mean, we have a similar, similar problem where 
we are now dreading the arrival of small hive beetle because mm. it's in Italy. Mm. And they can actually fly 30 to 40 kilometers. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, I've seen them in Hawaii, what they do. It's just amazing, you know. But we don't know, because our case study here is different, we don't know whether the, when they get here, they'll be as much as a pain as they are in another place. But we don't want to find out. But there's only so much you can do. And, and, I, and it is very worrying. Yeah, no, Very worrying for us because, you know, no, it certainly is. Um, there's a, a statement here. Um, to be honest, I'm surprised we have not heard anything official from the Department of Agriculture in Victoria. Now, now, just I suppose in their defence, now whether there is a defence or not, we found out Friday afternoon. Government workers don't usually work Saturday Sundays. You know, I mean, we can't expect them to work. You know, or if they will be working, there will be staff working on this as it has been in uh, Newcastle. So, um, but we're, we're about to, this week is the week to hear lots about it. I've uh, got another question here. Are there any set flow times in Australia? It is, Australia is massive. So as I said, you know, New South Wales, so one state is twice as big as all of Germany. So to give you an idea. Um, we're just going through the questions here. Um, here uh, Madeline, ask a good question. What are your thoughts on coating the brood with sugar powder? So you touched base on that. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, there, there was a lot of work done on it, and 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 brood, uh, sorry, sugar powder on the brood itself won't do anything. But on on the yeah, I think what she's probably referring to is just covering the frames in sugar powder. It, it it's said to have some action. It makes the bees clean themselves off, and in that cleaning method, they are said to remove some of the mites. But it's just one of the tools. It's considered really by commercial beekeepers a waste of time because they haven't got time. They'd rather stick in amitraz or create a brood break. Um, I've only just, I'll also say this, I've only just started doing brood breaks last year, okay? Because I used to try other things. We used to do home mixes of stuff and we, we got some control. But, you know, these things here are a total nightmare. No matter what you do, they'll come back at you. And brood breaks are one of the things that really do work because everyone I speak to, obviously we have a group of French bee, French professional beekeepers. I'm a member of their group and we go and we do exchanges and we do study days and stuff like that in November and, and February. And uh, we, do go, we go to courses as well. But every time you go, you learn something different. But it seems that underlyingly brood breaks are, everyone's coming back to the fact that you're able to stop the mites going under the capping by having a brood break, okay? And and it, I don't know what, what what I was just about to ask the question. What would be your could you have a brood break? Do you think in your area? Do you have a dearth at any time? Oh, it's tricky for us. So I'll talk about in Melbourne um, where I am. So which is you know a thousand kilometers uh, south of where this um, incursion of mites is. But some areas, yes, it, it gets cold here. But you now we get nice days and there's plenty of nectar. With well, the Australian bush is a plethora amazing flowers so i think i have some hives that go broodless um but some that don't so it's really but new south wales i was talking to a beekeeper up there um peter and he was saying that their fireweed is coming out in flower now so they're the middle of winter so that's where it's going to be tricky so answer that question richie i don't think it does you know other beekeepers going to know more up in that side of town but generally not yeah i mean and but the thing is you only need 21 to 24 days of the queen cage it doesn't mean that you let, let me put it another way i mentioned before that it's the best scenario to have a dearth okay but it doesn't mean you have to you just have to have a period when there's not much around so you have got that in your in, in your I, I call it like weaponry we have to you have to create a box what can i use 
to, you know, I have to say Varroa are smart and you've got to outsmart them. And and if you look at like, you know, Ian Stepler, if you look at all the big names, Bob Binney, um, loads of people who are on social media that talk about Varroa, they're always having to change the way they do things because it catches them unawares. I mean, two, three years ago, I had massive winter losses and I, I'm pretty sure it was all Varroa related. But there again, Ian Stepler had the similar thing, or not him, but his country, a lot of Canadian beekeepers had massive winter losses the year before. I mean, massive losses, sorry, last year, last winter. I mean, and, and it's, whatever you do in beekeeping, you can do this, because you always sprinkle mm. a bit of Varroa in that that's causing the issues, you know? The number one thing is keeping your mites down, because everything, um, who has it said that? Um, one of the one of the really good beekeepers said, um, I think it's Randy Oliver, the quote he said was, if you concentrate on keeping your mite numbers down, the rest of the beekeeping is like a walk in the park. Everything kind of falls into place. Because by becoming a Varroa, I wouldn't say expert, but by, by knowing about it, you learn so much about your bees without realizing it. You learn about technically about the brood raising times, about phoretic mite, all these little things that will expand your knowledge. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a journey. And, and I hope that you Australian guys aren't going to be forced into that journey. But you've got us to hopefully pass on what we've learned. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that most guys, and I'd be the same, haven't even bothered thinking about Varroa because it doesn't affect them. Yeah, they probably know nothing about it, and they've got to take it all on board. They've suddenly, like I had this email, like I said to you before, I've had this email yesterday that said, what do I do? How do I treat? It's not hmm. a question of how do I treat. It's what have you got first? Where, where are you? What do you think will work? Let's look at what's available. It's, it's such a tricky subject, mm. you know? And, and we've had it so easy in Australia, and hopefully we continue to have it easy. Oh, mate, you, you make yeah. me sick, mate. You used to say to me, oh, well, I just turn up and chuck the highs down. I'm like, oh, I've picked up a row the 50th <laughs> time, you know? It's, uh, that's true. That's, uh, yeah, that's true. We used to talk about that. Um, now, we've had someone here, just a comment here. Uh, does a collective know that Varroa has been found in other parts of Australia and eradicated both times? Now, that's a good comment because it's, to my knowledge – that we haven't had the infection that's been in established hives set up here. So that's, so yep. to my knowledge, so that's um, it's for everyone to Well, know. I was going to question you on that because I've seen that as well. And I wondered, well, surely if they've had an infected hives and there was other murmurs from beekeepers who I speak to saying, well, I think we think we've got it, but, but, but there's no actual announcement to say. So I'm surprised. And when I hear this, I'm thinking, right, obviously this is serious, yeah. but... Have you heard any whereabouts did you hear? Okay, well, so a couple of things. So what we've had, we had Varroa Jacob Sonoi. So that's the one that affects the Asian honeybee. So that was in, yep. if I remember right, 2018 maybe, 2017, 2018. We have had incursions where there's been feral hives on uh, shipping containers and they've been eradicated. So that has happened. But to have bees here um, with Varroa mites, i.e. what's happened now, to my knowledge, this is the first time. So um, yeah. I'll look at go some more questions here. Some really good questions. Thank you, everyone, for um, jumping on. I uh, really appreciate everyone's time. Um, 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 what's it? Open well, I, could, I could also talk about what I mentioned before about beekeeping groups and Facebook thing and all that. Um, it's a very interesting kind of thing to talk about. But over, over here, and I know in England, there's a big the treaters and the non-treaters, you mm. see. But it's really interesting. Over the last kind of 10 years, I don't know it's whether whether because I feel differently because I know so many from both sides of both groups. And I'm kind of, I, I believe that 
we're creating more work for ourselves by not communicating because yes. it's as much someone's right to, to not treat as to treat. And as I know there's, then immediately there's people that are going to say to me, well, yeah, but you wouldn't have, you wouldn't allow fleas on your dog, do you? You treat your fleas on your dog and they use that argument. I can understand that. But when you look at what we've done and how far we've got with Varroa, you do wonder if what we've done is wrong or right because the, we still haven't found a, an answer. So mm. why not just say, right, no treatments at all and we'll just let the bees evolve and what comes out of it will just breed from that. So you could say that, but at the same time, you've got thousands of beekeepers using commercial hives that need to be pollinating commercial crops, and that's what we have to maintain. So it's not really a viable option. I think, and I wanted to talk about it because a lot of people feel really, really bitter about it, and they've got very fixed ideas, but I think everyone should just listen to all sides of the argument because discussion is the key and the communication thing is the key because there is no answer the commercial side haven't got an answer the 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 treatment free people haven't got an answer because they're still losing colonies but the the other thing i wanted to talk about was you can build a treatment free apiary you have to um, select your stock you, you'll you'll lose a lot of bees and you'll lose most of your bees at the end so you, so you buy bees from a beekeeper right you stock that apiary and at the probably the end of the second year you'll lose a lot of bees up to 70 percent of your stock will die mm. but then you breed from that remaining stock you do your mite counts and that's how you build a mite resistant apiary okay and mite resistant stocks but it takes a long time it takes a huge amount of work and most people can't or are afraid to try it I don't want to do it. I would rather use Arista Bee Research and Florida University and learn from them and kind of kind of do the both, but maybe breed from breeders that already produce strong bees. There's this thing we call trade-offs, okay? And when you select traits from uh, bees that are presenting varroa-sensitive traits, for example, the trade-off is you might lose one or two or three or ten of the good traits that you want. So you're not able to transfer that. So for instance, if you, uh, say you got a, uh, a queen bee that was 100% resistant, you took grafts from her or you did single drone inseminations, or you then have to put those out to open mate and then you assess those bees. And you might find that all of the, all of the, the daughters that you make are all small colonies. They might not produce much honey, but they might resist mites brilliantly. Mm. But this is the problem I want to put across. It's so difficult. And all the people out there doing this that are breeding are having to work so hard to try and keep everything together because we don't want a honeybee that's vicious. We don't want a honeybee that, that is, has chalk brood that doesn't have any resistance to foul brood. We want to keep all that. But when you isolate a single part of a gene, when you isolate a trait and you try and breed, because the, the only thing you can do is breed on that trait. Mm. So, so, when you do that, you, you end up not having a good honeybee that's stable. That's, that's interesting. You, you lose a lot of the other things. It's called trade-offs, and that's what we're seeing now. Interesting. Carry on. So Sorry. interesting you mentioned that because um, good question here from Honey Sauce in Geelong. Uh, Richard, how important to you uh, do you find the – breed of bee compared to genetically selected queens so i suppose what's asking is is there a i know you prefer the buckfast um strain of bee is that correct yeah yeah is that is, yeah, that, is all your stock buckfast is that all you're using uh, well the majority of there's a lot of hybrids in it because obviously bees naturally requeen anyway but i generally keep putting buckfast into my apiaries okay now i my, the way i do it is i i bought queens from a breeder who claims to have had 
a uh, inseminated queen with a mother from so-and-so and a father from so-and-so. Both were really strong varroa-resistant stocks. Okay, so I've got that queen in my apron. I've made daughters from her. Those daughters have gone out to mate. And first of all, the colony that arrived after a few months that, that grew from that queen was diabolical, didn't give me any honey. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm like, okay, well, maybe the daughters when they cross the F1 cross will be giving me good honey. No, they didn't. There were nothing special. Mm. And the problem is, there's, I've got to be very careful what I say. I completely support VSH. I completely support all the breeding and everything, but it's very difficult to commercially produce a queen bee that has those traits at the moment that is viable and will be stable once you get it out there. Very often, there's fantastic breeders in all parts of Europe and the world and America. They're breeding great areas of varroa-resistant bees, but the minute you take that queen or that genetics away and it mixes with others, it's lost. Okay. It just disappears. The same thing is, for example, if we have a nice for nice buckfast queen here and she goes off and mates f1 reasonable cross f2 pretty wishy-washy f3 diabolical it's the same thing you the, the the um the genetic diversity out there is so big and the with the genetics that bees have when they mate makes the diversity so enormous that to to breed in the varroa resistance is very very difficult mm. very difficult it's um yeah i just hope i put that across fairly because i don't want people to go oh well, it's a waste of time because it is not we've got to go down that road because as much as it's good to let the bees evolve themselves it's as much as important as to do the two so we can work together and try and find a we, we might be able to say right well we found these these colonies that this guy had and they've been resistant for 20 years so mm. we'll go to that apron take stock from that and breed from that because he's got a good honey crop and they're nice bees blah 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 and they're resistant to it's all about trade-offs, as I said, and it's understanding the trade-offs and understanding the science behind it. So a lot of people don't understand it, and then they're, they're making comments. You've got to remain open-minded about it all. It's a very, very difficult subject. Mm. You're interesting. There's a, um, Michael Richardson, uh, has the regu regulator for veterinary medicine in Australia approved any mite treatments of yet? Well, let's hope, as I've mentioned before, we don't go down that path. But obviously, that's something. these are the sorts of things you're going to have to... Um, Sort of, yeah, uh, be looked at now. Uh, Carmel, awesome question here. Uh, really, I love this question for you, Richie. Is uh, is it safe to be wearing a ventilated suit when vaporizing the hive, or does it need to be solid cotton? That's a good question. No, it's absolutely safe, yeah, because um, really the, the moment that oxalic acid comes out the hive, it's cooled, and it just lands on you as a, as a powder, and it produces, and it's... The risk, it's been risk assessed, obviously, lots and lots of times. And the actual sublimate is very, very, uh, I suppose you could say it's probably an irritant because it's an acid. But it, the chances of you actually having a reaction of zilcher, the, what you want to do, though, is you don't want to breathe it into your lungs. Okay. That number one thing is you need a full vapor screen. Okay, so um, we've all breathed in a bit and we're, we're fine. But if you suffer from, like, long-term lung problems, okay. You want to be doubly careful, you know, because if you've got delicate lungs, it can induce pneumonia and stuff like that. And I don't alarm anybody, but it's nasty stuff. But if you're fit and healthy and you wear the gear, you've got absolutely nothing to worry about. Because, I mean, oxalic acid is everybody's friend. You know, we can use it. You can, you can vaporize it. You, 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 can't, you can't really overdose with oxalic acid. They've done it loads of times. And the bees just brush it off, but they, it kills the mites. How it works, I didn't say how yeah, it works. Yeah, I was going to ask that. It yeah. burns the mites' feet. 
So when the mites walk over oxalic acid that you've sublimated, and I don't forget when you gas the hive or sublimate it, gas isn't the right word, but when you, it's like you're gassing it. When, when you sublimate the hive, you coat every single part of the inside of that hive with a coating of fine sublimate oxalic acid. And the mites walk over that because they walk all over the frame and, and they get their feet burnt. And that's why the mite drop happens between four and five days after you've treated it. So you might go back the next day and say, well, there's no mites. You go, great. Two days later, there's like, because the mites starve and they can't feed. So you actually, it's, it's like a physical treatment rather than, rather than really a chemical treatment, but it's also a soft treatment. Oxalic acid is, is cheap. It works really well if you, if you know how to use it and it's very, you know, it's, it's effective and, and easy to apply. So, so a few questions on that, because to my knowledge, um, oxalic acid is a natural occurring we find in our fruit and vegetables, like leafy it's greens. It's actually an organic chemical. Yeah. It's organic. Interesting. So, so in saying that's organic, and we'll, and tell us about that, Richie. So when treating oxalic acid, we can do that on a honey flow when there's honey in the box. There's no adverse effects as opposed to the strips. So tell us about that. Okay. At this stage, America have just legalized the use of oxalic acid while you've got your supers on, okay? But in certain states, okay, I believe, okay? So that's why I say keep on touch of Randy Oliver's website, places like that. So, but that doesn't, that, that doesn't affect us here in Europe and it doesn't affect you in Australia. You'll have your own veterinary service who will dictate um, what you can and cannot do and when. So they will be hurriedly thinking, right, what are we going to say? What are we going to bring out? The, well, they might, I mean, they've had a while. They know it's coming. No, don't get me wrong. Any good government will know that they've got a veterinary service will know they'll have to have that in the wings of uh, have some information to give to you guys. But oxalic acid is one of those treatments where uh, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, but a lot of the... A lot of the big chemical companies don't like it because it works. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you know I mean? it's good to know. And, and, and as I said, I shouldn't say that and do what you want to do, but it works. Oxalic acid is the beekeeper's friend. It's, it's cheap. It means that everyone can treat hives and manage their varroa to a certain extent with that treatment. I'm not saying it's the only thing you should use. I'm saying it's one of the options, but it's a really good option. Okay. A really good option. So, so uh, now regards to those strips, the I think it's the Appy stand or is it the Appy Var? You can't Appy Var probably. Yeah, Appy Var. So when you're using the Appy Var, Richie, when you apply that, you can't. How long is that strip saying there for? How does it work? And you can't do that. On okay, so Appy Var is like what we what we call a systemic chemical. It goes through the hive and through the bees get it into their system. Everyone takes it on, but it's um, I'm not going to be able to tell you the exact chemical makeup but it is um you put you put a strip on you there's a there's a leaflet that comes with it you drop your strips into the brood nest and you put so many strips per brood nest so for example i think mostly it's two strips per brood nest and that's the thing there is a little bit of kind of flexibility in this and, and the strips are impregnated with the chemical so that you can't really overkill or sort of overdose your bees but if you put say 10 strips in you'd probably kill your colony Okay. Um, and what happens is the, the bees, um, the, the varroa mites die under the capping and also they drop off the, the colony and, and, and the bees will clean a lot of them out because they're, they're not moving quickly and they're virtually dead. So the actual chemical action kills the mites. But as I said before, you're also treating your bees. Mm. It's just to, to someone who's treatment free, the thought of putting Apivar or Amitraz onto your bees is a complete no-no. I mean, it... To, 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 to organic beekeepers, 
even oxalic acid is really kind of a bit touchy because they don't like putting because it's still technically a treatment mm. so there's, there's so many echelons of what people consider treatment and non-treatment you see and uh, some people just literally like to leave their highs and let nature take its course and the majority of times they end up with a dead colony in the mm. next spring that's, that's because interesting. I'll, because of other other issues and that's what winds up other beekeepers because they go well is that really fair that they can let their numbers build up so that when their colony dies my bees come and rob that out and i give my bees a massive dose of bro after i spent all summer working my butt off cleaning up my bees and i've got a mite bomb that's just exploded in my hives when i didn't want to in september you know it's like it's, it's that question so, but, so richard so so, uh, so jumping on using that particular chemical using the apivar doesn't that continuous use build up in the beeswax well, that's why I, I, I did digress a bit. I apologize. But it's I think it's something like 28 days or six weeks period okay. that you put the Apivar in and you monitor it and then take it out after. And you have to, to get the strips. Um, you have to return them and they'll be you know, but correctly uh, disposed of because they still contain a bit. But the whole idea is you give a treatment of a specified time for a specified dose. Okay. And then you remove the strips off. They say that if you leave the strips in, it will lead to long-term resistance problems. Wow. Okay. So, okay. And that is why it's very important to have another chemical in the wings that you can try maybe once every two or three years or not use anything for yeah, a year, yeah. use brew break. That, uh, I'm just trying to get across that it's such a complicated um, issue. I mean, there is there is thymol. I mean, I use uh, thymolized syrup, and I think it's great because you can mix it at home. It's cost peanuts. I have to say price is a big big issue in this definitely uh, apivar treatments cost a lot of money definitely, definitely. amitraz treatments basically and and it, it has to be because the cost of manufacture the license they need mm. and incidentally if anyone's saying well why can't they just bring out new chemicals all the universities are searching all the time for new treatments but they just don't they just can't bring them out tomorrow because they have to have approximately 10 years of testing or five years of testing, then it's got to go through the regulatory bodies, then it's got to be worked out, or what's the best way to apply it to these strips, are these strips safe? Mm. It has to be tested in the field. It is enormous, and the money that takes, I'm not supporting these companies, all I'm saying is give them a bit of a break because it does, it's not as easy as everyone thinks. And as I said, you're trying to treat an insect on an insect. Yeah. That's why it's so delicate. Exactly. You know. The, um... So can you, can, you just, can you just give me some idea? I, didn't, I should have asked this right at the start. In terms of your beekeeping in Australia, you're, you're more a static beekeeper. You're a kind of non-mover, aren't you? Or, or do you do pollination? Nah, well, myself, I'd sort of do um, a little bit of everything. But there are a lot of beekeepers. Shortly in the next six weeks, we have, I think it's about 250,000 hives across, uh, was that, four states move their hives onto almond pollination. I think our, well, our right. almonds, um, I think, is almost as big or getting up there, getting close to California. I think the size, the armor pollination, so that's where we'll get um, all mixed, which is um, actually a good point. Um, that girl, uh, 7-Eleven, put a uh, message in. I'm in Wyala, a beautiful part of the world in South Australia there. Um, what are my chances of having Varroa might show up in um, Port Augusta? Now, a couple of things. At this stage, you know, they're working on it. You know, the DPI, Department of Prime Industries, ARBIC, which is Australian Honey Bee Industry Council, are working on it. So, um, so important to know that it hasn't escaped us yet. It's early days. We only found out Friday, two hives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're actually going to euthanize within a 10-kilometer zone all the hives in the area. So if you're registered, they're actually going to put baits out with um, sugar baits with fipronol as well. Um, 
so it's important to know it hasn't escaped yet. So this is not a – I suppose the video of uh, this um, stream with uh, myself and Richard is to see maybe it's a little bit scared tactics because I know, Richard, you've got me scared. Um, I think beekeeping's been very easy – for us in Australia, <laughs> hopefully it continues to be that way. But it's important to know what happens. You know, commercial beekeeping, it, and if we have rural mites, commercial beekeeping is going to change. It really, really will. So. Yeah, well, it will. And, and that's the thing that we haven't really talked about is is how will it change. But mm. every beekeeper will have to reassess what they do if they, you know, you, you can't do nothing. You can, you can be treatment free, but I think the majority, majority of people who keep bees generally treat their bees in some way, whether it's they select, whether it's, you know, but, or whether they use your chemicals, but, and, and, I, and I don't want all these people, oh, well, you can't assume, because, but that's what I see here. Most people do generally treat their bees, okay? But, you, but the people in Australia are going to have to, we, I've always known it. Ever since I've been beekeeping here, there's always been the Varroa thing. And I and I didn't know much about it when I first started. I still say I don't know much about it, but I have an idea of how I can uh, how I can live with it and, and keep on working with it. But it is going to fundamentally change things because commercial beekeepers are going to have to price in treatments. They're going to work out, well, if I'm on the almonds there, where and I usually go to thereafter, what's my load going to be there? It's going to take also years of experience with mm. what their model is to be able to to manage a, um, a well, we, we call it integrated pest management yeah. protocol. Yeah. And, and it is. That's the word I should have said ages ago. It is integrated pest management. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, mm. Because oh, the reason why I asked you before about what you do and are you static, because I don't generally know, and I don't know if the people in Europe know how many people move bees to almond pollination, for example, in the spring. So your spring is about to start, and they'll be moving bees in a couple of weeks. But what do they generally pollinate after the almonds? Do they go different places? Yeah. Or well, so we after the almonds, um, what the the big commercial beekeepers go is uh, canola, which is equivalent, to, I think, to your rapeseed. Um, there's that, and then other various. If they're pollinators, you know, if they're running their beehives for pollination, you've got apples, pears, berries, that type of thing. But usually, a lot of our eucalyptus species start coming through, you know, close to Christmas, after Christmas, Banksia, and so we've got a lot of um, that flora after then. So, so it's pretty. Yeah. You can go pretty much one thing to the next to the next next. You've got to do a bit of bit of coverage. For you, for example, could could you say how many nectar flows you would try and? Um, take hold of you, you might crop a honey crop from how many next flows would you probably oh, work? I think for myself four four would be one four about four yeah, okay four. yeah because where i am used to in Brittany, we only have about two that we can generally harvest crop honey off. from. okay but because of that it enables other things like queen rearing and things in between and the two flows we have are quite good in yes. most years yes so it, it gives us less options but for example beekeepers i know in the south or mid france they for instance start on the spring flowers then they move to the acacia then they do the lime or yes. they do lime and chestnut then they do the heather so they might have five crops mm. and sunflowers as well yes. five or six mm. so i see what you're saying but how they do their mite treatments is very similar that i don't know how they fit it all in mm. you know it's as I said before about giving the mic, giving the bees that continue. If, if you, one of the fundamental things yesterday, as uh, a guy in Florida I know, he's a really nice beekeeper, and he, he was kind of like championing what we're talking about today, saying, "Don't forget that the, one of the two pillars of beekeeping are strong queens and good genetics." Mm. And let's just go back and forget all this worry about treatments and worry about everything else. If you've got really good bees and good genetics, you're gonna 
you're going to go a long way to dealing with Varroa. That's a, I should have said that right at the start. Yeah, true. Because yeah. I've just been saying, so what I do is I buy a breeder queen or two or three every year from a breeder in Europe, um, a Buckfast breeder. They select for all the traits. They select for strength of colony, you know, prolificness, Varroa resistance, but not as a specific trait. Mm. So, so I believe myself that you can go a long way to dealing with Varroa with having just strong colonies and, and, you know, and prolific colonies. Because if you imagine, if, you, if, you're, if you've got mites, but the bees suppress them a little bit, and your other colony is just racing away, you're going to have less, a big colony with lots of broods going to have less mites per brood area. So that's kind of how you, could, you can think about it. And if you're always working on that way, and you're always working with big colonies that are strong, you go a long way to dealing with all the issues, a long way to dealing with the issues. But what we've discussed before is what I would say for probably just okay bees. You know, we, we've all got them. I mean, there's, amongst my bees, there's good bees and bad bees. They're not all fantastic mm. colonies. I've got ones that now are on three frames. I'm thinking, what do I do with this for the end of the year? Oh, it's yes, just yeah. started drone laying. Great. Well, that's, you know. I'm like everybody else, but I'm, I'm just trying to say that you can go a long way to dealing with the issues um, by just concentrating on strong colonies yeah, you know, and, and only grafting from your best stock. That, that's the key thing. you know. Always go for the best. Don't just go, well, I think I should because that one did well last year, but it's not as good as the others. Pick the best. Always go from the best stocks. That's, that's um, definitely good advice there, Richie. Um, so a couple more questions. Uh, there's one here from Matt Burrows. Uh, can you quickly talk about AFB and AFB and what the hive looks like? Is it possible to identify what we'll do? That's obviously my suggestion is there. You know, jump on YouTube. There's better links to talk about to see photos yeah. and so forth. There's but, better links than we can yeah, show you right we, now. Exactly. But can I jump on that question? Uh, that's a good question, Matt. But can I jump on that? Is Have you found, is there any more issues having viral mites and lowering their immune system and having issues with AFB, AFB, chalk brood are we seeing more of that having varroa or it doesn't matter it's, it's um, viruses. i i can't hand on heart honestly say that i've seen more of it okay but i see a bigger cross-section of issues okay but there again as i said i've always had it yes. i've always had varroa okay. yes yeah so it's very difficult to me to say yeah i've had more since because i don't know what it was like before but i can ask you that in five years time and you might say we never had Varroa, they stamped it out, but you might turn around and say to me, yeah, we're getting much more cases of this, 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 and this. But by using strong genetics and selecting from good traits of general traits, you keep your, for instance, I, you, well, let me just finish that sentence. You keep your, um, your, your chances of getting something really nasty less. So I, um, I've had uh, EFB, I've had AFB, but all uh, one or two cases. So I usually always do my biosecurity. We don't treat for European foul brood here. We obviously, uh, you, in some countries you can. In America, you can treat with um, t uh, tetracycline, I think, you know, antibiotics. Yep. We don't do that here in Europe. It's totally banned. I don't okay. know what the situation is in, in, uh, in, in Australia because th they seem to think that it just generally masks mm. the... Um, the issue and, and later on it bubbles up again. So we just crash and burn. If it's a European fabric, our criteria is either to a shook swarm. If it's a severe case, you take all the frames and burn them and you kill the colony as well. So you kill the colony first. Euro uh, American fabric, you kill the colony mm. straight away 
and just and then scorch the frames. That's the number one treatment. But um, th for things like um, chalk brood, I haven't seen chalk brood in my apiaries for years because I always breed from a non-chalk brood queen. Stock, okay. Yep. That's the simplest way. Chalk brood is one of the easiest things to breed out. Mm. You know, um, the, the funny thing is I only usually see chalk brood if I get a swarm going into a box and that box cleans out all the mummies because yes. that's why the colony died previously it was a and they'll clean it all out and you see all these mummies on the bottom but um i can't honestly say that that, that varroa gives more but it, it, if you imagine a colony being stressed it's the stress issue that you've got to think about you if you can remove some stress and you don't have varroa always aggravating that colony that well one of one of the things they think that bees might have developed is that they become more swarmier because when they swarm okay. they get themselves a natural brood break you see that's interesting so and the yeah and, and and in the in the wild i think um um i can't remember the guy's name sorry I'm, i should remember his name um they, they've proven there's a lot of work done proven that bees will that swarm more often generally have less mite load because they have a natural brood break. Uh, that's what the so, African the problem bees. is we don't want swarming bees. We want bees in our trees, in our hives, not in the trees. Not in the tree, that's right. So it's, uh, and that's the Africanized bees. They, they do uh, quite well, obviously, because they keep on really got that swarming behavior. Um, yep. They do that. Um, just a couple more things, and then we may... Yeah, be... someone just said, um, put them in a box, Tom Seeley. So I, I couldn't remember his name. Professor yes. Tom Seeley. He's done a lot of work on uh, if you can read his books uh, the honey honeybee democracy yeah brilliant, brilliant. Um, fantastic books a lot of work on on his kind of model of just how bees do cope with varroa and it's really interesting but as i said it doesn't mean you have to agree with it it just means you need to take it on board and think about it because everyone has their own point of view and that's what's important yeah. it's just being open-minded but uh, sorry carry on Yes, yeah, that's so um so interesting. So a couple of things here. Uh, lovely comment here from Path to Passive Prosperity. Uh, this is so interesting. I'm not a beekeeper, but so glad I'm in this discussion. Much better than listening to this than a centralised report on the TV news. Uh, thank you. It's really good. You know, it's, here's someone who's not a, a beekeeper. That's it. I mean, the thing is we are kind of beekeepers, um, you know, from both sides of the scale, both mm. sides of the, of the sea. And there's a long way between us. But isn't it amazing we've got similar issues to discuss that we're all – kind of focusing on this issue we have the issue you might have it but there, there's so much debate in this issue but the fundamental thing is we can work together and science can fix most of the problems yeah definitely definitely um lovely comment from joe murphy too wishing you the best down under a very difficult time and that it is you know my phone's yeah, yeah i mean yeah. can i kind of just say i haven't yes. really said much myself but um i know I, I commented in the video that you after you, you posted yesterday to me um but I, I, I'm like, I'm so upset for you guys because I know the, mm. I, and I know we talked about, oh, we're really scared now and after my presentation there, but, that, but that's nothing. But it's not until you're actually on the ground doing the work. And if I didn't have to deal with Varroa, you know, our lives would be so much easier. Mm. I would have more colonies. Definitely. I would have probably more honey, better honey crops, all the things I talked about. I, I am just like, you know, it, I, I'll give you the scenario of, all right, we have Asia. Asian hornet here as well, okay. which you might have seen in some of the videos I, I've done. Yes. That is a problem for us as well, but it's another thing we have to deal with. So we, for us here, we don't, we, so in, in Northern Brittany right now, and most of Northern Europe, we have Asian hornet, we have varroa mite, but we don't have small high beetle. 
Okay. Do you have small high beetle in Australia? Yet? We, we certainly do. So it's uh, pretty much most places go. except for Tasmania and Western Australia. But yeah, we've got it in yep. all Victoria. They get smashed with it. I, I think with um, very similar to Hawaii, Queensland, Northern New South Wales, Queensland. Um, yeah, Northern New South Wales, Queensland. They get it bad because of the high humidity. Um, and yeah, so they, they do really bad with the African yeah. small beetle. Yeah. Okay, so I've just seen a, a comment come in from Ian Stepley. Just said, uh, "Good morning. How did the varroa get in, into the hive?" Okay, okay. I, I, yeah, you, you asked me the other day a yeah. couple of things. You you carry on first. But yes, yeah, yeah. The good question. I, I would say if, if they want to trace it, they probably can because I, they can do a genetic genome study of the line of the varroa because it does. There is different types of subspecies of the same I've group heard this. Yeah, that they can detect. They'll know where it came from. Yeah, and they're actually doing that of, of from a factual report. They're actually doing that this weekend, testing that and testing, obviously, uh, any of the viruses and things they, they're carrying. But what was interesting, what's happened, and this is uh, due, due to COVID. So there's, this is a bit of a speculation here, but I thought it was actually very interesting and, and quite fascinating. Because of COVID, a lot of the shipping containers coming out of overseas, and there's the talks obviously coming out of Shanghai, China, or, or Guangzhou, Shenzhen, and the containers obviously the ships aren't moving as regularly. They're actually staying in port, staying on land, staying at the factories. The hives, the, a swarm has moved in. It's able to establish a lot better, put stores on in that that current country of origin, and made its way. You know, to Australia as a bigger colony because the ones we've had previously, which has been, I think I know about four, they've been really weak colonies. So now that's the thing is at this moment, we don't know where Ground Zero is, we don't know where that original hive is. As I said, we've got the Department of Prime Industries and the Australian Honeybee Industry Council working their butts off. Um, I've got to also to just quickly jump in. Important that we really push this. We've heard for the last hour and 20-odd minutes talking to Richie about this, all these treatments and all these problems and the and colonies dying. We need to do – we need to throw everything we can at this. Um, you know, we need the Prime Minister. You know, he needs to he needs to have a letter sitting there tomorrow morning, Monday morning when he gets gets to work and act. We, we, I don't know what else well, we I, do. I can jump in there as well and yeah, say we, if we'd have done that with the Asian Hornet when it came to France, because that came in on shipping containers as well, and they reckon it was just two queens that came in on a shipping container near the port of Bordeaux mm. in, the, in the Gironde area. If they'd have thrown everything at it, even if it was a year after, because we got about 40 kilometres dispersal the, the first year, mm. they could have found it. Mm. But now it's spread through all of Europe, and it's a complete nightmare. And it's dangerous as well. It's not like Varroa where you go, yeah, they're in the hive and they're not going to affect him. Well, yeah. These are horrible parasites yeah. that are non, they're, a, they're, a non, uh, they're an invasive species that are actually dangerous as well. And they didn't do anything about it. And I I, I'm 100%, 1,000% behind you. I hope they do that. It might seem really hard at the start to kill all these colonies, regardless, just blanket. You can, you can grow your bees again, but you can't get rid of mites again. You can't get rid of them. Mm, that's so right. you, you have very little choice. And that's where it's so important. We throw everything at it. And even, you know, we can get, you know, within Newcastle, the area, you know, getting schools, telling the children, let's go on an incursion, uh, excursion kids and take the children around, you know, try and find whoever, you know, finds a, a feral beehive in a tree in that in that area. You know what I mean? The school yeah. gets a, I don't they, know. They need to maybe like get onto the, onto the, the the ball of saying right we need to uh, get people to go and speak to beekeepers who know beekeepers who know beekeepers and find out where there's feral swarms mm. and and do that like you say they need to really 
or I, I should, well, I'm not going to say that expression, but they need to be intensively searching for feral swarms. Yes, intensively, so. and they need to fell trees, whatever they need to do, because it's it's worth it at this stage. Exactly, it's worth it. But I, I I did say to you before we went online, I said one thing I will say is I hope that if I hope I don't hope you get it, but if you do get it, I hope that they just say right, we've got it now. Now we're going to support the beekeepers to deal with it the best we yes. can. Because yeah. once you if you keep saying to people, you've got to destroy, you've got to destroy, and it never goes away. It's devastating because it's not it's not it's not coming to terms with reality. That's what I'm saying. But at the start, you've got to do everything you possibly can to try and contain it. Everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter how severe it seems. Burn trees, take swarm, you know, whatever you need to do, destroy colonies. You just have to do it because it's, it's that much of a pain mm. to us. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Yeah, it's absolutely devastating. There's a good message just coming through here. Uh, tell the people uh, about the Purple Hive project. Absolutely fascinating technology using artificial intelligence, using cameras to detect the bees going in and out of the hive if there's an abnormality, mm. i.e. Um, a varroa mite on there. So that's some great things. But unfortunately, I think it's in Melbourne. I think there's two hives. I don't quote me on right. that. I'm not sure. But obviously, this is in New South Wales. I mean, else. There's been other things as well. There's one called Varroa Gate where they have a, a treatment that, that is, is on the door. And as the bee, as the bee goes in, it wipes uh, some of the treatment on it. And some people use magnets. There's different with <laughs> They don't really work that well, but it's interesting to look at it and to understand that it's a possibility, you know. Um, there's many, many things that we can try, but for you and for me, when we have to, when when it comes down to it, if and I mean this with the utmost respect, and and I don't mean to berate anybody, but if you're a four or five high owner, hive owner, your job's easy. You can keep your mites mm, under control. Right, exactly. If you've got 200, 300 colonies, I mean, I don't know how many colonies do you run for your pollination on that? I've got 250, 300 colonies most of the time. That's probably small compared to you. Oh, and I'm small compared to... I was talking to a beekeeper this morning. Um, he runs 1,400 um, at the Yarra Valley of Victoria and they're having a yarn to him, uh, to Tommy. And it was just... It's like, what would he do? He sort of... And the first thing he said, well, does he sell up? You know, and I'm hearing this from beekeepers, like just like throwing the towel. It's not very Australian, but, you know, throwing the towel and, and become a, um, a painter, bricklayer, a trader or something, do something else because, you know, the effects this is going to have. If, if... It's not contained, and it's actually spreads, and and so and then we're, we're, there's a lot of political issues here too. You know, the another thing, the Australian almond industry. I was just reading, researching today. It's worth almost one billion Australian dollars per year. Massive. So now they've just stopped, um, put a ban or no movements of hives in New South Wales. So massive, massive area. I'm not sure the numbers of hives, but I know it's big. Mm. Obviously, Queensland can't move their hives because that's coming from north through New South Wales. So there's going to be a big issue with almond pollination. So we're, we're going to see there's going to be a big political stuff, uh, issues that we're going to see happen here. So it's more than yeah, just... Yeah, and, and as I said, Varroa has many issues outside the hive, mm. but without even coming to you yet, with the biosecurity measures, it's going to be enormous, which it has to be. So they're going to have to give support to um, you're going to you're going to have to give support to 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 all the growers for the almonds and the beekeepers. You know, don't it's not just the almonds that don't get pollinated; it's the beekeepers that lose money because they're not taking their hives. And it's the almond growers will lose money when they sell their almonds at the end of the season because they won't have very good crops. They've got to be supporting it. And I hope they are. Yeah, it's hopefully you know. It, it's massive. I mean, um, I, I, I would, I would love to live without Varroa. I mean, every beekeeper would. Yeah. But we can't now. Yeah. Unless something, 
unless science turns up the books, there may be some treatment that they may well bring in that just kills the mites, mm. you know, but we just haven't found that silver bullet. At the moment, it's it is for the beekeeping. It's the it's the golden chalice. It's the the million dollar question. It's if you could get rid of mites in Europe, you know, well, it would just make life fantastic. You know, okay. that's nine. I reckon ninety percent of my beekeeping is probably mite mite related. Wow. You know. Wow. That's but incredible. But saying that, I, I'll get, it's all doom and gloom, and I'm trying to not make it be. But I've just had the best harvest I've ever had. Yep. I've, I've got a lot of colonies I'm about to split. I've got strong colonies. I've kind of, I have a formula that seems to work for me. So all, all I'm saying is that the, the times ahead will be very tough because you've got to build in a formula and a regime mm. and a protocol that works for you in your areas. I, I was asking you before, do you have a brood break? So I'm sure some people will do in Australia. Some people will have less flowers less and they'll probably find it easier to manage than you might be able to Correct. but you might just have to say right well i won't go to the to the whatever plants you know you told me some plants i know i've forgotten the names yes, you, yeah, you, yeah, you might just scrap yeah. what scrap one nectar flow and say that's my treatment gone so oh, that's my treatment period so i'm not going to do it that's why you have that's how you have to rearrange your strategy quite drastically or, to be able to Exactly. Or uh, I might only keep one or two hives and go back to being a chef because <laughs> it just seems like a lot of uh, work. But um, so, so we sort of maybe should uh, wrap this up soon. But there's a couple of, just uh, finish up on a couple of things. Uh, Joe, so mentioned, um, and once again, thank you so much to everyone for, for coming tonight and listening. Hope there's something to take away. Uh, as I said, that the Varroa mite hasn't escaped yet. It's being, you know, I mean, looked at. So it's not doom and gloom just yet. I think, I think we should be positive and hope that. Yeah. At, all, all I will say to on that point is you and I as beekeepers know that that's not necessarily the case when you've got feral swarms. Correct, correct. That's right. And um, Joe actually mentioned, I think, a message before about doing this again. So what do you reckon we could do this again? Maybe. Um, Why not? We'll, we'll talk, Why not? We could talk, you know? about, talk about other things, uh, various, um, obviously, different beekeeping practices you know because we're literally absolutely yeah france and, and australia couldn't be any further if they tried so. no well I, I'm, obviously i said i was going to come and see you but i last year with covid yes. this year i'm actually going to be part of cayman reynolds's um hive live conference i'm going there as one of the speakers i'm like absolutely stoked about to be asked so it's going to be fantastic so that's in january the 5th 6th and 7th if anyone wants to go along to that but the tickets are available now just go to hive live hive life.com and you can have a look at the conference. And Ben might even be going if he can get over, but exactly. he's a busy it. guy. <laughs> so we'll see how we go. But, um, yeah, that's fantastic. So I'm hoping to go to Australia next year to um, to teach all about Varroa. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. hopefully we but can I won't have up. to because you're not going to have it. Let's be positive. <laughs> that's true. Exactly. That's true. Um, also, to your social media uh, channels, um, platforms, um, Richard. Anyone? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, at Bees in Brittany. I'm on YouTube, obviously, this channel. I'm on Instagram, uh, um, Bees in Brittany. Yeah, I can't, and also Facebook as Richard Noel, but I'm trying to keep up with uh with all the social media is difficult i think you'll agree Ben. it's just a nightmare and you're not on tiktok you, you can you, I, i'm i look at my hourly rate i'm often eight hours a day on my phone I don't it's see crazy it. you're not on tiktok yeah. i thought you'd be on tiktok wouldn't you richie no I, i'm not on, i i i love i love the idea of it but you know what I, <laughs> i'm kind of one of these people where i kind of like to be controlling what i do fairly well so i can't do half of it yeah i mean i'm either in or i'm out if you know what i mean and and, and one thing i will say is 
a lot, and you probably find this as well, and, and uh, it's a difficult thing as a beekeeper who kind of does quite a bit of social media. You get invited to so many people's, to like so many people's websites, to be part of so many groups, and you just have to kind of distance yourself because you, you just physically cannot mm. be part of all these groups because it's wonderful to meet all these people across the world. But at the end of the day, you've only got one <laughs> pair of eyes, one brain, and, and one True pair enough. of hands, and you can't physically... Do it. You know, I get people texting me all the time out of the blue saying, I've got this colony. Should I, how should I requeen it? And I'm like, well, and I try and reply. Yeah, you do the best you can. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's just so difficult, you know, because you've got to keep bees. That's what we're here for. Exactly. You know, it's, it's getting that balance, you know. Yeah, so, no, um, totally agree. Um, that, that's for sure. So I'll ask the question in, in terms of your uh, beekeeping area, do you have a, a beekeeping group that you, you are, are, are joined to? That's well. There's, I'm a little bit the same as you. It sort of gets a bit full on, you know. Come springtime, trying to manage hives and helping people, and you know, sort of running a, a business, it does get pretty hard. But you know, so many. I think Facebook groups are pretty good. You know, sometimes we get different opinions yep. and you know a bit of sort of chest uh, beating and so forth. But you know, um, different ideas and so forth there. But you know, Facebook groups are really good. A couple of clubs. The amount of clubs. Like, I'm in Melbourne. There are clubs every, and they are awesome. Yeah, you know I mean, there are some really cool, really people. good. Oh, really yeah. good. So there's lots there. Um, the one, there's one I could almost walk to. Uh, like, actually, I could walk Brilliant. to. Um, it's going a couple of kilometers away. The, um, yeah. So, so the clubs are good, but um, it's um, yeah, it's good. And I think for those listening, you sort of got running a couple of hives, or even I mean, as Richard mentioned today, today in this uh, presentation, talk to people. You know, I mean, it's talk to people and find out, you know, what works for one person may not work for another. So I actually like it. My trade is a chef. I can cook you the, the best, you know, uh, food, you know, the best. Uh, um, and, and you let me cook it when you stayed here. Uh, no, you didn't right. offer to take over. Uh, no, I, did, you know? no, I don't usually tell people. I'll give that, give that quiet. I'll let you do the cooking. <laughs> but, you know, I can cook the best, but it may not be for you. So, and that's the same as with beekeeping. Yeah. So, and I think it's important that we respect everyone's viewpoints and work together and we need to work together on this and i can't stress this enough we need to stop this i don't know anyone's got um uh, albanese's uh, personal number we need to call him tomorrow we need politicians well, there will be someone that's that's what this is yes. so great you've got a lot of people watching this and a lot of people will watch it uh you, you can post the link to the youtube channel it'll be up on the youtube channel very shortly after and there will be someone who will know someone who will know someone who can get 100%. that message for this interview across. And it, it's gonna—it's all about amplifying the. If enough people say we've got to do something yes. now, do the best we can. Exactly. Because if they don't do it, it's lost. That's it. You know, you've got that one chance. One chance. I couldn't agree more. That's uh, we've got to throw everything at, at it. I say it's the same here for Asian hornet, and we get these horrible hornets that are constantly weakening our highs that they give stress so uh, you i've told probably a lot of people all about it but they invaded from from um from asia they came in on a boat of china in a container very similar scenario okay and they could have they could have done something about it when it first came in but they didn't and now it's spread through all of europe and that's another invasive species and around the world invasive species are, are crossing boundaries mm. all the time and that's why we're supposed to have biosecurity things in place but when they get through and they don't do anything about it you're like how can this happen how could we have got to the problem we have now because for us it's another major thing here it really is you know we've got varroa and asian hornet and and most of the year it's not a problem it's just late in the summer when the queens are laying there they're, after i've done my brood breaks what happens is the colonies of hornets build up and then they uh, 
um, hawk in front of your hives and stress your colonies out when they're supposed to be gathering autumn pollen because mm. they've got these massive amounts of colonies. So the, the, the numbers of hornets in the colonies at that time of year are at their peak because they've grown all year. Mm. And that's the time when your bees are crucially making your winter bees. So you get rid of all the mites, and then along come the Asian hornet and then stresses yeah. your colony. So yeah. the queen stops flying. So like you've done one thing, and then you've got the other. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is it, it's, it's mind-blowing, the, the work we do as beekeepers, because we are, we are beekeepers, and we are sentinels for nature. We are out there. We are seeing it. We are doing it. We are experiencing kind of what the bees are, and, and we are representing them in some respects, and we should be kind of being, being able to shout uh, the people that be to say, this is what we need, because when we've got the proof, we have the proof. Exactly. You know, we exactly. know what Varroa are going to do. Exactly. We know what, you know the problems they're going to cause you. Exactly. And I think, keep, yeah, I agree. And I think uh, um, keeping a fish tank seems a lot easier, doesn't it? Um, let's, <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's, I'll tell you what, we better, we better sh shut it up. It's uh, been absolute, thank you so much, uh, Richard. That's absolutely amazing. Thank you everyone for listening. What we're going to do, is we're going to do this again shortly, maybe one, two, yeah. three, four weeks, do a bit of review. Yeah, awesome. And, and we'll do this again because this is absolutely fantastic. I've learned a lot. Yeah, and, uh, and once again, I apologise to everybody for my uh, low-tech approach at the start, and I'm sorry if I screwed up a bit on the uh, there was on not getting a problem my at all. file to share. But I never noticed. Hopefully it all came out clear because yeah, I, I just wanted to put across what I do here so you can have some idea, and I really hope that you don't get your Varroa into Australia because – Boy, man, your beekeeping will change fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. It's, anyway, um, I'm going to end this broadcast. Thank you, everyone. Everyone, be well. All the best. You take care. Take care. It's not over yet. We want to be positive. Let's end it on that. Yeah. Take certainly. care. Take care. All the Bye best. Take care. Bye. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That was absolutely full on listening to that. Whew. Well, that's a big sigh, isn't it? Um, let's hope we keep it out. Um, obviously information is going to come out uh, all the time, updated information. There is a bit of, obviously, hearsay, Chinese whispers, what's not facts, but yeah, that's why um, it's important that we hear the facts and we do everything we can. Um, until next time, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and obviously take care of those bees. Bye for now. <laughs>